sack Is that all you get for your money? And if that's what you have in mind Yeah, if that's what you're all about Good luck moving up Cause I'm moving out Good morning and welcome to Oklahoma Real Estate on the Move. This is Mark Carr, team member of the Becky Ivins Real Estate team, sitting here with Becky Ivins. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, a good week this week yeah. and a good week ahead. It has been. Yes, and now that the weather's kind of turned cold, everybody's kind of thinking about uh, holidays. They're not thinking about moving. Nobody wants to move in the cold weather, right? <laughs> but... If you are thinking of buying a house after the first of the year, buying any kind of property, people are buying a lot of acreages now, mm-hmm. uh, unimproved acreages, which is kind of uh, different. But anyway, if you're thinking about buying anything, you need to know what you need to do now to get ready. And so that's what we have today. So we will be talking this morning to our S to our favorite lenders, SWBC Mortgage, uh, Dean Riddell. And we have with us Carly Riddell and Ashley Van Winkle. Good morning. Good morning, Ashley. Good morning, Carly. Good morning. You guys kind of blew me away the last time you were here because you're extremely knowledgeable. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, And not that I would have expected anything less, but I did. I did expect you not to have the depth of knowledge that you do. So I'm excited to share that with our audience as to. What do you do? What's the first thing you need to do when you're thinking about buying a house, say, in the next three or four months? Well, I can tell you the first thing that you need to do if you are thinking of buying a house in the next year is get with a lender you trust. Get that credit pulled and see where you are. Because if you've been relying on your credit karma or your credit monitoring app, you may not be ready But that lender is going to help you navigate your first steps to ensure that when you're ready to buy or that house falls into your lap, you're ready to rock and roll. Okay. So when you talk about the different credit reporting things, let's talk about a tri-merge. Okay. So what is a tri-merge? Because that's what lenders use. And the credit apps typically use one, maybe two, but usually one credit Uh, reporting agency yes so lenders use three credit reporting agencies we use Experian TransUnion and Equifax and a lot of your credit reporting services only pull from maybe one maybe two of those and some of them don't even use all of the data that they get from those sources to do your scores so our score is always going to look a little bit different when you have a full residential mortgage credit report it's always going to be a little bit different than those reporting agencies. Sometimes there's a big difference. Sometimes we've seen it be over 100 points higher or lower than those other agencies. So it it really is best to get with a lender and see where your score really is. For example, I had a um, client a few months ago who was looking to buy a house, and they're like, well, we don't want to pull our credit yet. We're just not quite sure if we're ready. Well, then the house fell in their lap. We pulled their credit, and the husband had these um, fraud all over his credit report from Florida, and so he, they couldn't buy right then because they had to get his score prepared and get that fraud taken care of, which if they would have pulled a few months ago, they could have had that taken care of when that house fell in their lap. Okay, so the tri-merge score 
how does that work? I mean, do, do you guys get three different scores or does you do get three different scores? Yes. So we get three different scores and we take the middle of those three scores. So if you have a 709, a 710, and a 711, we're using that 710 for everything. So it's kind of like the Olympics. If the Russian <laughs> judge goes off the deep end and gives you a 4.0, it, you throw out the lowest. Throw you have out the a highest. To, yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. And okay. if you're applying with someone jointly, we'll get six scores, and we use the lowest middle score to oh. to go off of things. Okay, hold on. Say that yes. again. So two, two people apply. Three, six. We each get three, so we have six scores. We're going to take the middle of the first borrower, uh-huh. the middle of the second borrower. Whichever one is the lowest score is what we're using. So if you have someone with great credit, say they have an 803, yeah. and you have someone with a 670, we're going to have to use that 670 to oh, go off that's of. That's great information. And sometimes yes. in that case, hopefully the one with the higher score makes enough money to where they can yes. drop that other borrower off of the application. So, uh, okay, I I did not realize that you used the lowest of the two scores. I thought it was an average, maybe. Some Fannie Mae is working on going towards an average for maybe the rate. Um, They may average the two scores, but your MI companies are still mostly focusing on that lower middle score, which will impact. And what is an MI company? So the MI companies, if you're putting less than 20% down, you're going to have that private mortgage insurance. And that PMI, MI, um, it can be monthly or upfront. And those MI companies just provide the coverage and ensure that loan in case of default, they insure the lender for that amount. You know, I can't remember more than one time, but I do remember specifically one time when the borrower was approved by the lender but could not get mortgage insurance coverage. So the lender couldn't make the uh loan because you have to have it insured if you put less than 20 percent down right yes becky was that a credit issue that so a lender would said you qualify lending wise but a mortgage insurance person said you don't qualify with us well in this particular case this was in the 80s and the company that person worked for was about to go out of business and the employee didn't know but the mortgage insurance company knew because they keep track of stuff like that. Uh. So they knew the likelihood of that person. Well, and there were other bump. It was a miracle we got this person approved to start with, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so get your credit score pulled. Now, I'm going to be the devil's advocate here, but doesn't that lower your credit score every time your insurance is uh, – your score is pulled so pulling your score for a mortgage purpose is a little bit different than when they pull it for like a say for a car loan when they pull it for a car loan every single time you get it pulled it hits your credit when you get it pulled for a mortgage purpose it only hits your credit once in a two-week period and it's only going to be about a two or four point hit so you can really have it pulled as many times for the same purpose in that two-week period now, if you had it pulled for a credit card yesterday, a mortgage today, and a car tomorrow, yes, you're going to see a little bit of a dip in your score because they're like, what are you doing applying for all this credit? But if you're just applying for that mortgage loan, even if you apply with two or three lenders, it shouldn't hit your score more than two or four points that one time. Okay. That just makes me – like that's just crazy to me 
that you check your credit to see how, you know, if you would qualify for a mortgage and it hurts your credit to check your credit. Well, we That's used ridiculous. to call it a soft pull and a hard pull. Do mm-hmm. you still use those terms? Yes. So when you do it for a mortgage purpose, it's almost always a hard pull. There are some lenders that are trying to switch to that soft pull up front. It's really hard to get an accurate representation with that soft pull because sometimes you're kind of, you're not really supposed to issue a pre-approval letter on a soft pull. So it is kind of up in the air because then when we do the hard pull, sometimes there's new things that come up that may change the pre-approval or the scores are a little bit different on the hard pull than the soft pull. So let's talk about what is the hard pull and the soft pull. Yes. So a hard credit pool is the full credit report. We see everything. We see your accurate scores, your accurate current debts, your accurate any bankruptcies, any other credit pools. A soft credit pool gives you a little bit of that information, but it's more of just the basic information. So we don't necessarily get all of the debts, but we can see your debt load. We don't really get the exact credit scores, but we can see some estimated credit scores so soft pull does not hit your credit at all as a credit pool, and a hard pull will hit your credit for that two or four points. If you want to join the conversation today, the number is 8401000 and we'll be right back with more right here on Oklahoma Real Estate on the Move, News Radio 1000, KTOK. NMLS number 196-895. Welcome back to Oklahoma Real Estate on the move. We have SWBC Mortgage here, Carly Riddell and Ashley Van Winkle. And you you two have your own NMLS number. I always have to slow down when saying NMLS. (laughs) Yes, we are both licensed. Uh, My number is 1674301. My number is 2161821. Okay, compliance. We've this, got it. Right. This is yes. real estate and mortgage is highly, highly regulated. And one of the things is like as a real estate agent, there's only so many things you can talk about unless you are licensed. You have to be licensed to talk about certain, nearly anything in real estate and lending's the same way, right? It is, yes. So without our license, um, one of the main things we couldn't do is discuss rates with clients. Um, always kind of nice to fall back on Dean for that when you don't want to have that sticky conversation. But with our license, uh, we can discuss rates. It, it allows us to pretty much run a full file from start to finish um, without having to go to anyone else. Well, you don't have to have a license to call in. The number to call in is 405-840-1000. That's 840-1000. Okay, so we were talking about the things you need to think about if you're going to buy a house or any kind of property and you're kind of thinking about, let's do it after the first of the year, after Christmas is over and stuff, we'll get to that. So <clears throat> credit score is the first thing you probably need to do is to locate a good trusted lender. And if you don't know one, call our office. We will give you two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because, but with us today are is our favorite lender, right? SWBC Mortgage. And <clears throat> we want to know about the credit score what are you what are you aiming at what score do you want ideally 
So it kind of depends on the loan type. So for an FHA loan, which is typically for that first time home buyer, they have a younger credit score. The minimum for that is a 580 and above. But typically to get the best kind of rates and everything, you want to be somewhere in the mid 600s for that. So 620 to 680 is probably the ideal range. The higher, the better, obviously. But for an FHA loan, I would say 620 to 680 is where you're shooting for. Um, the conventional loans, you typically want to be closer to the 700. So a minimum for a conventional loan is 620. But just because you have a 620 doesn't mean you'll get approved for a conventional loan. Typically, you want to be closer to the 700, 740 and above is like the ideal range. Okay. And how about a VA loan? VA loan is similar to the FHA loan. So the minimum is at 580, but you want to be closer to that 620 to 680 range to get okay. the best benefits. Okay. So got the... If the credit score isn't quite up there, maybe you've got a 580, but you really want to be in the 640 or above, right? So what can you do? What's kind of the most common thing someone can do to get their credit score up? So there's a few things. It kind of depends. Um, that's why it's best to just pull your credit report and get with the lender so they can review it with you. But there may be collections on there that you need to take care of, your um, credit balance to your limit on your credit cards may be too high. You kind of want to stay around 30% or below on those. So if you have a $10,000 limit, you want to stay below $3,000 on your credit card balance. Correct. So Because that really does affect your score quite a bit. Yes, it does. And that's one of those things that you can pay those down and your score is going to jump pretty quick. Another thing that can hurt your scores is a late payment on a debt. Those take a time to heal. So you may not be able to flip your score as quickly as you would if you were just paying down your credit balances on a late pay. It just takes time for that to heal and go up. But we've got some time because we're not going to buy till after the first of the year. Most yes. people start looking about February and end up buying about April. So you've got some time for to do this. So do it now. Do not be late. Yes. Do That's, not be late. That is the main thing. Okay, so credit score, let's just say we're good with credit score. What is another factor in getting qualified? I would say start saving money. Start looking at what you're spending, budgeting, start saving that money. Now, a big misconception is that you need a 20% down payment. You don't need a full 20%. There's options as low as 3% down, 3.5% down. There's even down payment assistance programs. But it's still best if you're thinking to buy in the next few months, start saving that money so that you're even in a better position when you are ready. Do you still have to have residual in your bank account to qualify for a mortgage? Typically, no. They like to see it. It always makes your file stronger. But typically, you don't need that anymore. You know, back in the day, you had to have two months <laughs> sitting yes. in the bank, two months worth of payment after you've paid all your closing costs and down payment and stuff. So... But I bet it, it, like you said, makes it stronger if you do have more than 17 cents in your bank the day you close, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which we have seen and totally doable. So don't let that panic you and, and discourage you from buying a house. But you know, any little bit you can start putting aside is going to help strengthen your file. Okay. So you get your down payment or your down payment assistance or... VA, this is one thing that has really been hard lately, is VA eligibility. 
They've got a whole new system of judging eligibility on points and stuff. It's not like you're eligible or you're not. Now you have to have enough points and stuff. So getting that certificate of eligibility updated, not just the certificate, but get it updated. How do you do that? We typically have not seen any issues with the certificate of eligibilities so far. Um, I have been doing this for seven years, and there has only been one time I've had a veteran not have enough points to um, get that certificate of eligibility and use a VA loan. Now, we did run the race. He provided all of the point statements, which is something veterans can provide to us to submit to the VA as their full point statements so we can work on making sure everything's accurate. Um, But typically, once that certificate of eligibility has been issued, we're only updating it if they've paid off a VA loan that may be showing on there um, or if something's wrong, such as, you know, they're saying they have to pay a funding fee, but really they're exempt. We can go in and submit that documentation, but we don't necessarily look at the points on our end. But do you send in to the VA get the certificate or do you get it from the veteran? We get it from the online VA portal. Um, It automatically pulls in probably 98% of cases we've done. In the 2% where it doesn't automatically show up, all we have needed to send in is the DD-214 showing character of service at discharge. Okay, so that's good. So what other thing do you need other than to locate your down payment? And that can be a down payment assistance program that can be tribal money that that can be a VA loan that doesn't require but credit score down payment what else do you need stable income people um, like to think about switching their jobs at the first of the year you know great time to make a change except that could affect your ability to qualify um, we've seen that quite a bit someone will go commission at the first of the year after being salary Well, now we're dead in the water because we can't use commission income without a two-year history of working commission. Or someone will have a W-2 job and at the first of the year think, hey, I'm going to go self-employed. I want to work for myself. Well, now we've lost your income because you don't have a history of being self-employed. So stable income and employment is going to be one of the next key factors in being able to qualify six, eight, a year out from now. How how much income do you need? It really depends on your debt load and what purchase price you're looking at. I think that's another big thing is to look at your budget and see what payment you're comfortable with because we don't want you to overextend your means. Um, but the income really depends. We're looking at your what we call your debt-to-income ratio. So it's all of your monthly liabilities, your credit card payments, your car payments, along with the proposed mortgage payment. And that needs to be at least less than around 50% of your um, monthly income. Gross monthly income. Yes. Yeah, that's good because that can be quite a bit different. Yes. Yes. Okay. So stable employment by a company or you can be self-employed. And self-employed just means that you have to have a two-year history and you have to have paid your taxes on your self-employment income. A lot of people don't get that. They're going, oh, I'm getting this big raise. I'm, the company's paying me 1099 money. But, boy, you'd better be sticking back some money for uh, Medicare, the FICA money, 
that comes out of your paycheck and taxes. And we do check if you are self-employed, we do get the most recent two years full tax returns. And if it shows any amount is due, we do have to verify with bank statements and cancel checks that that balance has been paid. Or if you are on an IRS installment plan, completely acceptable to do that. We just have to show that at least three months payments have been made. It's approved by the IRS and that payment is counted into your debt to income. So we've had people have $600 payments. Well, what do you do there? Well, you better be making a lot of money, <laughs> right? So being on an IRS installment plan does not cancel you out. You still have ability as long as other numbers are in place. Correct. Yes. That is great information. We'll, we will be back with more right here on Oklahoma Real Estate on the Move News Radio 1000. KTOK. Welcome back to Oklahoma Real Estate on the Move. This is Mark Carr, team member of the Becky Ivins Real Estate team here with Becky Ivins and our special guests from SWBC Mortgage, Carly Riddell and Ashley Van Winkle. And it is time for our word of the day. of the day is brought to you by Robbins Roofing, where their word every day is trust. You can trust Robbins Roofing from a small repair to a complete replacement. Give them a call at 728-3700. That's 405-728-3700. Becky, what's our word of the day? Well, it's a term of the day, but it is gross income. Uh, Carly mentioned gross income, right? And so what is gross income, really? Do you know what that is? It's jobs that I don't want to do. Oh, there you go. Okay. Well, it's the sum of all the wages, salaries, profits from rents or anything else is gross income. You th- People think of gross income being income from earnings, but income can be from your investments, right? Yes. So the total has to be involved in calculating household income. So if you've got a teenager that's had the same job for three years in the house, does that have to be counted? Or does it get to be counted in order to qualify for a loan? If the teenager is over 18 or is not in high school, then the income from the teenager does have to be counted for programs using household income. Your main programs for that are going to be USDA and a few of the down payment assistance programs require household income. Outside of those programs, we don't look at household income. Just whoever is on the loan and their income is what we're going to use. Okay. Good. Yeah. And that's our word of the day. So I often get asked about like, Rental property. Somebody has rental property. When do they get to add that to income generation? So it 
typically will ask for their most recent tax return and we're going to look at your schedule e so if it's reported on your schedule e we can calculate your rental income at 100 percent based on that now let's say you just bought the property eight months ago so you haven't reported taxes for 23 yet so it's not showing on there in that case we can use the signed lease agreement we can use it at 75%. So we're assuming it's only been occupied 75% of the year. So we're using 75% of that rental income shown on the lease agreement if it's not on your Schedule E and you have it in the most recent year. Or that extra 25% could be for repairs and upkeep of the property, right? Yes. So if you make $10,000 a year from a property, that's the gross amount of rent you receive, then the net amount of income you're able to count on that is 75% minus any payments on that. Yes. So you have to subtract out any mortgage payments, the tax property taxes and homeowners insurance, and then any HOA fees too on the property if they apply. Okay, that gets kind of complicated, but uh, you have your calculator, I'm sure, right beside you as you do this. Yes. <laughs> is, is there an area of gross income that people either misunderstand or miscalculate more than others? I would say self-employment income. That's the one case that it's most likely not using your gross income. We're using your taxable income. So if you're self-employed and you make 100000 a year, but you write off every penny you can so you make $10,000 a year, we're having to use that $10,000. Now, there's a few things we can add back into that, like depreciation and things like that. Yeah. But for the most part, we're using that taxable income and not that full gross income. Boy, that's a hard balance for those of us that are self-employed over if I report more, I get taxed more. Yes. But if I report less, I may not qualify for the the loan that I would like to get. Yes, it's a fun balance. We always say if you're self-employed and you know you're going to want to buy a house in the next two years, you probably need to show a little bit more income and pay those taxes those years. And then once you've bought the house, if you know you're not going to buy for a while, you can go back to writing a few more things off. But it is a hard balance for people when they're trying to buy a house. Okay. So we've got income, credit score, all uh what is the other thing that you need to qualify? I think one of the things that I've seen over the past few years is people will apply and we'll be like, okay, you're, you're good to go. Just kind of stay where you are. And then their spending will increase out of nowhere. And all of a sudden they have overdraft fees or maybe they are a little bit late on a credit card or, you know, they're charging more on their credit cards and, We'll get the updated bank statements or updated credit report, whatever it may be. And all of a sudden, now they aren't able to qualify. So even if you're good a year out, you have to stay stable in what you're doing. Don't go making those changes. Don't go buy new furniture for your new house that you're thinking of buying and put it in a storage unit. And now you're paying for a storage unit and you've just drained all your money. Um, you know, we do get updated documents, so we are going to keep track of that. You just have to stay stable in what you're doing. Okay, so st keeping stability on the income. Uh, and how about title? I mean, what if, can you buy a house if you have an IRS, IRS lien against you? 
So that will need to be paid off prior to buying the home. If you have tax liens against you, um, those are going to show up on that title report and also probably on some of our reports. And if they have not been paid in full or forgiven somehow, those are going to have to be paid prior to closing. Okay. Well, how, how long do you have to pay them? We've had people will pull the reports, we'll get the lien and judgments. All of a sudden, there's a tax lien showing. Um, they've We've had people pay them off at least, you know, a couple of days before closing because we do have to get the documentation and show the funds clearing the bank account. But it's doable to do, I'd say, as long as a week before closing, I would give that time to let it clear your bank account. Um to get all the documentation, but it's not something that has to be done six months before you can buy. As long as you're open and communicating with everyone saying, hey, I'm working on getting all the money together to pay it off, we'll be able to make that work. Can you think of any important questions that a consumer thinking about a mortgage might be asking you that they, that they should be asking you? Like, what's a question that people might neglect asking? I think uh, one of the big questions we get is, um, so I don't have to have 20% down? That's a big one that we're working to overcome with a lot of buyers. We've had young buyers come in. We had one that closed a couple months ago. They came in with their parents had told them 20% down. You have to do all of these things to buy a house. And well, you don't want to buy right now because the rates are too high. And and we brought him in and sat him down and said, hey, why don't you hold on to your money? Use a down payment assistance program. Here's what your payment's going to be. And they were like, we can buy a house right now? Because they, you know, they asked the question, well, do I have to have 20% down? I only have 5% in my bank account. Well, no, you don't have to have 20. Um, we get questions about the rates. Are rates going to affect my payment? Yes, but that's why you come in and talk with us so we know what you're comfortable with. Because people don't really know how rate and down payment affect their final monthly amount. They may be comfortable with an amount that they don't even know they're comfortable with. Right, but you need the information first. Yes. So what documentation do they need to bring in? So we'll need to look at your pay stubs, your W-2s to calculate your income, your tax returns if you're self-employed or if you have any rental properties. And then we'll need your two most recent bank statements so that we can verify you have your funds for closing. Um, you have to have that. That's something that people do not like to do is to provide bank statements. That is true. We are not looking at what you spend your money on or how much money you spend. We're just making sure there's no oddball large deposits that don't line up with your line of work. Um, there's no cash deposits, no undisclosed liens that you're making payments on. We're just making sure there's nothing out of the ordinary, but we're not looking at what your everyday spending is. We're just making sure you have those funds in there that are sourced and very verified for your down payment. Now, if someone is getting a gift from a family member to mm -hmm. help with down payment, you have to get the bank statement from where the gift is coming from also, correct? Yes. We that to, surprises a lot of people. It yes. does, but we have to make sure that the parent or the grandparent 
aunt, uncle, whoever it is, isn't going to the bank and getting a signature loan for $10,000 and then giving that $10,000 to the buyer because that's still coming from an unsecured lien for that down payment, which we cannot use an unsecured lien for down payment funds. That just doesn't seem right. (laughs) I mean, if the grandpa wants to get a loan against just a signature loan at a bank, they can't just give that money to the grandchild to for their down payment. Grandpa doesn't want to give you his bank statements. Yes, we get that a lot. And a lot of times we'll say, have grandpa, have grandma call us. Let us talk them through why. Because in reality, the gift process has not changed for 30, 40 years. It's always been the same. It's almost the same gift letter that it was before. We still needed the statements back then, too. So it's almost exactly the same. And once we explain all that to them and that we're not looking at how much money's in there, how off, where they spend their money, a lot of times they'll provide that to us. How about co-signers? So co-signers are a great option if you cannot qualify for the home on your own. Um, a lot of times they'll bring additional income to help that debt-to-income ratio that we talked about. What co-signers cannot do is they cannot make up for a low credit score. So if you have a 500 credit score and you're trying to bring dad on to co-sign who has an 800 credit score, we can't use that 800 credit score and just ignore your 500. Now, if dad has a job and you don't quite make enough, yes, we can add his income in and we can use his income to qualify. But it does not offset the credit score when you have a co-signer. And if the the borrower doesn't make the payment then if dad co-signed he's got to make that payment yes or that will be called due and foreclosed upon and it does affect the co-signer's credit just as though they were the primary borrower right yes so when you co-sign on a loan you do have to make sure that person you're co-signing with is going to make those payments or else it will affect your credit score well, and you will have to make the payment. Or if, you'll have to make the payment, yes. Yeah, if you're collectible, you're going to have to make that payment. When we come back, we'll be talking about, I have a question for you guys on how student loans. Lots of talk about student loans. When we come back on Oklahoma Real Estate on the Move right here on News Radio 1000, KTOK. Welcome back to Oklahoma Real Estate on the Move. It is time for our smoking hot deal. Our smoking hot deals brought to you by Casa Perico Mexican Grill, located on the south corner of 122nd Penn on 63rd, just west of Meridian, at 505 East Main in Yukon, and a drum roll. Brand new location. Brand new location. Uh, near about, what is it, Hefner and May. Hefner and May, just north of Hefner, right on May. It's 11109 North May. It is just brand new, open this past week. I know. Casa Perico, beautiful. Hey, they if did you a want great... a free lunch at Casa Perico, call in. All you've got to tell us is, hey, I want to eat at Casa Perico. <laughs> I want to check out the new location. Yeah, yeah. I've got uh, two certificates here for Casa Perico, so give us a call at you... 840-1000. 840-1000. And, and I'm, I've, I've got a new recommendation for Casa Perico. For those of you who are, are cocktail connoisseurs that you enjoy a, a, a good... So everybody talks about margaritas at Mexican restaurants. 
they had a Oaxacan old-fashioned. And for those of you who are Spanish speakers, I apologize. I just probably butchered how to say Oaxacan. But it is an old-fashioned, which is a classic cocktail that uses mezcal instead of usually it's bourbon. It's a very nice sipping drink, and that's what I had at Casa Perico. It was delicioso. There you go. Oh, look at you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm just nailing the Spanish there this morning. There you go. I'm blowing Espanol. <laughs> I'm so Oklahoma Spanish. It's it's ridiculous. All right, Becky, what's our smoking hot deal? Okay, our smoking hot deal is on Cobblestone Curve. Uh, it's a cob- beautiful home. It is. And it's built in 2019, four bedrooms, three-car garage. Uh, it's got some features to it that are really pretty cool. It's uh, got vaulted ceiling in the kitchen and living room. Mm-hmm. And it's got the ceramic tile that looks like it's wood floor. And all it's the way throughout through the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that look. And I'm not sure whether it's ceramic or porcelain tile, but it is a <laughs> a hard tile all the way through yeah. the house. Yep. So that is, uh, and this is $422,000 in Cobblestone Curve. Now, this so is a gated, gated area. area of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And one of the th- features of that home is it backs up to kind of a greenbelt area, is right behind it. And then also, one of my favorite features of the home, uh, of a home, is that you have the utility area with washer and dryer is connected to the master bedroom closet. Right. I mean, back where all the bedrooms are, right? Yeah, it is. Wonderful. So if that's ringing a bell for you, uh, you can go to BeckyIvans.com, click on search listings, or drop off Sunday. I'll be there. I'm doing the open house there this Sunday. Okay, two to four. Yep. All right, we have a caller on the line. Good morning, caller. Good morning. So what do you want to say? Do you have a question or a comment? I have an exclamation. Okay. I'd love to eat at Costa Rica. Oh, Costa Rica. <laughs> We've got a Costa Rica lover on the line. Uh, give your information to Mike Gannon, and we will happily mail you a certificate for a free lunch. Perfect. Thank you so much. Okay. We're talking mortgages with our friends from SWBC, and more than friends, they are licensed loan officers. And I wanted to ask you about student loans. Do student loans count? What happens when they're in forbearance? What happens when you're behind on the payments? How do student loans affect qualifying for a house? Student loans are tricky. Um, If your credit report that we pull shows that you have no payment due, depending on your loan type you are qualifying for, we will calculate a payment for those student loans. Now we'll have people come up and say, well, they're in deferment or I'm on an income-based plan. We have to use our calculation of payment, which is typically going to be higher than your income-based plan since we do have to show a worst-case scenario. Now, we did have one. We're starting to see this more now that student loans are coming out of deferment. On our credit report, we pulled it, zero payment. Things were great. There was a note that said deferment ends October 1st. Well, we thought we were going to be closed before then. Everything's great. There are repairs to the house. Closing's pushed back to mid-October. Our soft credit pool that we have to do before closing now shows there are payments on these student loans that were higher than our original calculation. So buyer, right before closing, had to pay off those student loans in order to keep their approval. 
it happens, things change. Um, but that's one of the things with student loans, zero payment. But if those come out of deferment and it catches on our soft credit pool, now we have to roll with the payment on the credit report. How soon before closing do you do that uh, second credit pool? At least 10 days before closing is how long the soft pools are good for. So we have some file gets approved 20 days before closing. They're going to have two soft credit pools before closing. Um, We have had people run up their credit card debt during that time in between the soft pools and closing. Well, we've had to pay off credit cards at closing because the balance was too high or the payment went up. Um, So you do have 10 days, but I would not recommend going and buying your new furniture or your new washer and dryer because it will come up eventually. Okay. How, so that's good to know about student loans. And how do you calculate that automatic payment if it doesn't say on the credit score? It's typically going to be 1% of the balance is what we're going to use. But for your FHA loans, we're going to use half a percent of the balance. Okay. Okay. How about overtime? That's something that kind of uh, you're used to. A lot of people are used to getting overtime. They may get 10 hours of overtime a week, and they have for years. So how is that uh, count, the income count? So we can use overtime if you have a two-year history. We take the total overtime over the past two years and average it out. So whatever that average number is. So if you made more overtime this year than last year, we can't necessarily use the most you've used this year because it's going to average with your lesser amount last year. We also have to get a, what's verification of employment from your employee. And on there, there's a little box that says, is overtime likely to continue? And if they mark no, then that throws our overtime out the window. But as long as they mark yes, it's likely to continue, then we can use that two-year average as income. We have a caller with a question for you guys. Good morning, caller. Good morning. Go right ahead. Um, So if you have a rental property and it's early in the rental property process and you have a very big um, depreciation number so that even though you have income coming in, you can show a loss, which is nice but yet you're still making money, how do you calculate that? Yes, so we do have a specific Excel worksheet that we take the tax return information from, and depreciation is one of the items we can add back in to the loss showing on the tax returns. So it does help show as income. Okay. It's a great question. Been a great show. Thank you so much to Carly Riddell and Ashley Van Winkle from SWBC Mortgage. If you want to get a hold of them, you can go to BeckyIvans.com. Click on Becky's Favorites. You'll see them right at the top. As always, have a great week, and thanks for being with us on Oklahoma Real Estate On The Move. And may all of your hopes turn to wishes And may all of your wishes come true.